talking and I'm not and I'm just <laughs> And then I'm talking <laughs> No, but wait, wait, I have something for him. Boom, you get shot down. Now you're just fucking me, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just wondering why all these people like kids. The Weird History and Eerie Tales Podcast. Concentrate on the news. That's what we do. Wow. <laughs> FYI, there's nothing wrong. You don't taste grape when well, you drink Monster? Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Weird History okay. Eerie Tales Podcast. I'm <laughs> now that he mentioned it, I could, I could taste a little bit of grape. Holy crap. Bruh, you guys have been drinking monsters for how fucking long? Hold on, hold on. This is why this hold is on. why I don't drink monsters. Because it tastes like great. It reminds me of medicine. It, like it does what? Like, it reminds you of Kasser. Okay, now you're just being stupid. <laughs> I am your host, Moses Sorian. With me to my right is my brother, Josh. Yeah, what's good, people? How's it with going? With me to my left is Archie. Yes. And right now, he just dropped a huge bomb on me that I can't wrap my head around. My brother, you know, because we're, we're recording is my day. Uh, and we're, in, we're drinking... Energy drinks, my brother's drinking a monster, and Achi's like, I can smell the grape. We're looking at him like, what the fuck are you talking about? And apparently to this psychopath, monster tastes like grape to him. It does. So what does the grape monster taste like to you? There's a grape monster? What is a purple monster? Uh-huh. Yeah, I got a taste. I never tried it. Yeah, I mean, look, take another taste and think about purple. And you'll be like, oh, okay, this tastes a little bit like grape. Well, you look at your poster of Black Dahlia, the purple one. I guess throughout all these years, I just picture that Monster had its own little unique taste. Like Monster was just—I like, never just thought like it'll taste like any. Yeah, Monster yeah. is Monster and yeah. nothing else. But it's now like, you mention it, I fucking hate you because now I taste purple. I, I taste just, great. I, I just yeah. taste cough medicine. Rock, Rockstar, yes, exactly. And Rockstar to me tastes like bubblegum. Rockstar to me tastes, for tastes the longest like bu- tasted wait, wait, wait. like penny water to me. Wait, wait, wait. the regular standard the flavor standard flavor tastes, tastes like, like bubblegum. Bubble I had that bubblegum. Penny flavor taste to me, but like really acidic bubble bubble gum. Yeah, I know the penny tastes like fucking iron, but bubble gum? Do you taste it too? Bubble gum? Yeah, I don't know. Y'all, yeah. y'all fucking up. What what does Nas taste like? According to one of our buddies, it tastes like like armpit juice. He sounds like he's talking from experience. So if you or ever Chris, smelled a musty, Chris, a musty, oh, Chris, if, so, so the smell of a musty armpit is what it tastes it like. Tastes like I, I, yeah, like I, yeah, yeah, I do that sometimes. Yeah. Oh boy, it's really no, fucking good. When when <laughs> fuck when like someone describes to you like oh it smells like the taste it it has it tastes like, like the smell yeah 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 exactly. yeah yeah yeah, exactly. yeah 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 so if you yeah. guys can't tell by what we're talking about today we're talking about Japanese ghosts <laughs> oh yeah it, 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 it's all correlated together you know we're talking about yure's yure 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 how how are we gonna put? What is the pronunciation we're gonna go with today? I'm, I'm gonna say yure, 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 yure. It's you, re. Is the Y silent? R, no, huh? No. So yeah, you, it's you, just you, pronounce you, Y O U, right? You and then re, like a Mexican term to pronounce re. Yeah, Ray. yure, or like saying yure, yure, yure. All right, cool, yure. All right, so yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yes. Yure, we're, yeah. we're going to talk about yure. So we're wrong. At least we're all wrong together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so yure's are. Uh, Japanese ghosts And I know last week Last episode We talked about Japanese demons Now we're becoming weebs Yokais Yes We are becoming Is, is that what you asked What weebs were Yes Alright yeah that, That's why I wanted to know The entire time So I could plug it in the episode Alright so Alright so Welcome We are all weebs And now we all have to <laughs> Set out And find our waifus I don't think that's correct though we're, Just cause we're into Never mind. Carry on 
I don't know, man. This guy was talking about the monsters just like great. Well, this, this just is just a fucking jackass. <laughs> just, just give it fucking to him. Let's go A1. A1 jackass. Yeah, so last week, you know, we were talking about yokais, mm-hmm. and yokais were our Japanese demons. Mm-hmm. And today we're going to be talking about Japanese ghosts. If you're thinking to yourself, is this a part two, or what's the thief, or what's the difference? What's the difference? What's the difference? <laughs> Or aren't demons ghosts? You know what? You should read all that in yeah. that accent. What's the difference? Well, What's this the, is a difference, friends. This is a difference. You fuck. So, no. They're you not. The, they're not the inner Mexican coming out of you. This is not a part two. And they aren't. And demons aren't ghosts necessarily. At least not when it comes to Yurei's and uh, Yokai's. But in trying to find the difference between the two, it's kind of, it's kind of a matter of opinion and perspective of some sort. So even though Yuri's and Yokai's have difference or have differences between one another, some can be considered one or the other. Right. Hmm. Depending on what your definition of Yokai or Yuri is. To put it into perspective, trying trying to find a difference between the two is like trying to find out what makes a superhero a superhero. Mm. Some people think that like you need superpowers to be a superhero, hence the super. Right? Mm. Like the Hulk and Thor. But if you go by that definition, what does that make Iron Man? What does that make Batman? What does that is Captain America a superhero? You know, so yeah. it all depends on the perspective and what you want to, what definition you kind of, you know, playing by. Uh, they're yeah. boring, created, what? So while there are clear Man. differences, as we're going to find out in this episode, Japan has a healthy community of fucking ghosts and demons that could overlap between Yuri's and Yokai's. But for the most part, here are some differences that many point out to differentiate between one and the other. Mm-hmm. So for the Yuris, Yuris are the spirits of the dead. When someone dies, their spirit leaves the body and goes to purgatory. But after a proper burial and ceremony, the spirit becomes a protector of the family. And this is the spirit Japanese people celebrate during their August festival. But if the person dies in a sudden or violent manner, such as a murder or suicide, or they're influenced by like emotion, like negative emotions like desire, revenge, love, jealousy, hatred, mm-hmm. or sorrow, the spirit can transform into a yurei, which can come back to the physical world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yureis are often described to look like young women, usually wearing white clothing, long black hair, usually with no legs or feet. So if... To give you a good perspective and a good image, think of the creepy bitch from the ring who was actually influenced by a certain Yure. More oh. on that later. Mm. But there are, but believe it or not, I mean, it's easy to believe, there are several categories of Yure's. Kind of like Pokemon. Pokemon, there's fire, water, grass. Same thing with um, with Yure's. There's categories where different Yure's fall under different categories. Mm-hmm. But the main four are the Goryos, which are the vengeful ghosts. Of the of aristocracy, there's the onrios, the vengeful ghosts who come back to right a wrong done to them. Mm-hmm. Then there's the seductresses, which are the sexy ghosts. Ooh, we're back at it again. And then there's the boomus, which is the ghost of a mother who died during child who died during childbirth, who still take care of her children from the great beyond. Oh, that's creepy and kind of oh heartwarming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean, like. You know, like, for example, like, remember when we were talking about, um, we were talking about about universes, and my brother had that story where the girl, she went to sleep, and she woke up with a yellow, with a yellow, um, 
sheet instead of the one she usually goes to sleep right, with. Right. Oh, yeah, the comforter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if her mom died and she, the comforter fell and she put the yellow one over her? Uh-huh. That would be a boom. Uh-huh. Even though we know that's not what, what, what happened. Also, the Yuri, they don't like to travel and they don't haunt random places. They stay near where their body lies or near the site of 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 an important event, like they like their murder. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they may stalk a specific person, like the killer or lover, and usually only appear between midnight and three a.m. That's usually when they're open. Now the yokais, the yokais, they're never spirits, but earthly monsters, mostly like goblins. As we learned last episode, there are literally hundreds of random ass yokais. Consisting of different shapes and sizes. They can range from huge, tight skeleton monsters that appear at sites where there are large amounts of unburied unburied bodies to turtle-looking demons with three assholes. They can also range from being tricksters to straight killers to sometimes bringers of good fortune. Yokai can take different forms, such as animals, human, or inanimate objects. Unlike the Yuri, Yokai, they don't have to stay in one place. They can just fuck off and roam the land freely as they choose, for the most part. Like the one the, the one you talked about with the eyeball, with the face of, you know, that one can't really go fuck off and haunt other places. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But that's usually the exception and not the rule. Right. Also, here is a small list of some differences between the two. Yuri mm. appear around midnight, while Yokai appear at dusk and dawn. Oh. If they're transparent, they're a Yuri. A Yuri. If they look sad, Yure. They look happy, Yokai. Yokais look like monsters, while Yuris are more ghosts. Oh. If they were once human, they're Yuri. Otherwise, they're Yokai. Obviously, this is more. This is not always the exception. There's <clears throat> this exception that's not necessarily the rule. Yeah. And Yuri, Yure are made after dying, while Yokai are born that way. Uh-huh. And like I was telling you guys, you know, earlier. If you want to be able to tell the difference between the two, the main rule is Yurei are created while Yokai are born that way. Right. So if there's a if there's a spirit that used to be a person, that's a Yurei. Uh-huh. If it's a, a, a creature or something, that that's a Yokai because that's how it came out right. and that's how it was born. So that's the rule of thumb between trying to tell the difference between the two. One apparently one's a sad bitch. The other one's the happy bitch. Right. Here's another category, sad specters. Sad specters. And just like you mentioned, Moses, it really depends on how, right, the emotion and how they got, if they got murdered or uh, if there's emotion involved. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah. So this is one of the cases, and it's it's a sad specter, sad ghost known that goes under the name of Ukai Kansaku. All right, this guy was a male. All right. His actual name, his human name is Taira Tokitada. He was born in 1130, and he died in 1189. Cause of death, drowning. And this oh. is his story, right? It's a sad specter, and this is why. Okay, just to break down his co-name, Ukai, which stands, it's, uh, it's a way of fishing. Ukai is where fishermen trains uh, what's known as a waterfowl, which is like these, uh, like, like a duck, geese, yeah. and any, like, yeah, they train them to go fish for them. So it's a very old school traditional way. 
some people still practice it, but it's very rare to see. Where they train, the, yeah. So, so they train these ducks, these geese, to go fish for them. That's cool. Which is crazy. So, the story of Ukai Kansaku. There was this Buddhist priest who went to this village. Um, he came across different villages, uh, healing people, dealing with diseases, and all this stuff. And then, at dawn, everyone that was in the village that he was walking by started to run away. He ran away. They shut their doors out. They're like, "Yo, we're not coming out." And he was like, "Well, this is kind of strange. Are we dealing with disease or a murder or bandits are coming out?" And no one would say anything. Right. So he will knock from door to door, house to house. Let me in. Try and figure it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I need a spot to hide too. So this Buddhist goes around. He talks to the elder village, a villager of, of that village. And he wants to know more of why people are scattering away. Right. So he tells them they're just this ghost who's haunting the lake. So the Buddhist is like, okay, let me deal with it. And chief villager, okay, you're on your own. Okay, he's like, cool. So the Buddhist goes out. He, he, he chills by the lake and he starts meditating, waiting for this ghost to appear in front of him. Dang. And surely enough, it does. And the, yeah, <laughs> It's a bunch <laughs> of cobbles coming out, yeah. Uh, so, the description of what made it scary was this ghost would appear at night, moaning and like growling and just as if it's in it agony. agony. Yeah. Okay. So that's what made it scary. He didn't attack Wee. people, but he just scared the fuck out of people. Right. So the Buddhist finally meditated, and finally, the Yure appeared. What does he do? What does he do? Well, he starts talking to the Yure directly, and the Yure responded with the story of his brutal murder. Oh, shit. So like I stated before, the ghost's true name is Taira Tokidata. Right, he was born and raised as a warrior back in the old days so his clan the Taira and his family were in war against a rival clan known as the Genji they lost miserably the whole clan was decimated dismantled completely he survived and within his family they were taking care of this very sacred mirror which was given by emperor or whatever so they were taking care it was very sacred right so instead of running away with it or killing himself and destroying that mirror instead he went towards the chief of the Genjis the Genji and he gave him the mirror so you are the new keeper of the keeper of this mirror and so the Genji leader was like you know what I respect that so instead of me killing you I'm gonna banish you but you will still have your life so he was banished and as a kid he was raised in this little village where fishing was a big thing so that's what he lived off. He will go to different bodies of water and fish and whatever. And he was trained in that style of fishing, uh -huh. the ukai. Game the ducks. Mm -hmm. With the ducks, geese, or any uh, birds that are around them. <laughs> yeah, side duck. Fuck a bunch of side ducks. So he's doing his things, living, changed his name. And then he came across this one river. And he let his birds loose to go fishing for him. Mm -hmm. And there was an angry mob just yelling at him, 
wanting him to come back to shore. So he did. What? Apparently, that river is very sacred to them. Oh. So even fishing or the killing of a bug is considered like, super it's like forbidden. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's forbidden. So his new name now is Kansaku. He was like, dude, I didn't know. Please, I'm pleading ignorance. I had no idea. Please forgive me. And the mob didn't. They didn't, they're relentless. They didn't Yeah, they didn't give a fuck. No remorse. So they beat his ass almost to death. Damn. And they wrapped him in a straw mat. A straw mat? Straw mat. Just a mat made full of straws. And they just wrapped him in it super heavy. And they tossed him into this river. Before he drowned to his death. So you can't kill a fish, but we could kill you though. Yeah. So they murdered him. Drowned him. And then goes back to the conversation between the Yure and the Buddhists. So the Buddhist was like, yo, don't worry about it. I know this this uh this type of this type of power known as the Lotus Sutra, which is what the Buddhists practice. It's long text and all this stuff saying, I will help you cross over. Over. So he does. Takes him three days. Three nights. The Buddhist doesn't eat. He was supposed to, uh, he wrote different characters on different rocks and tossed them into the river. Took three days, three nights. Finally, he did. The Yuri thanked him and he crossed over. So, the point of this, there's different Yuri's that will scare you, that will haunt you, that will try to attack you. But in this case, some Yuri's just need help to cross over. So what you think may be a haunting of like, oh shit, I'm scared, I must run away. Sometimes you could directly interact with it. Because it may need your help to cross over. Who knows, maybe if you die and you need help crossing over, you will need a helping hand. And that's the story of this Yure. Imagine under the sad specter category. Imagine the fucking the the, the Buddhist turns around. He's like, it's done. And all the villagers are mad. They're like, bro, that's a sacred river. You were throwing rocks. <laughs> it's a repeating cycle. <laughs> <laughs> they beat his ass, wrap him around a fucking straw mat, and drown that motherfucker. Damn, that would be an endless cycle, bro. Holy <laughs> shit. And then they wonder why. Why are we being haunted? <laughs> Before I jump into my Yuri, I literally did not know or heard of the term Ure until last week after finishing up our last episode on Yokai. And it took me a minute or, or 10 to know what Yuri's are. And, and Moses mentioned, you know, that Yokai are basically mythological creatures, some good, some bad. And same thing for Yuri. I didn't know that. I just learned that right now. This is, this is huge fucking category of shit that I just don't, that I literally just learned about recently and it's cool that sometimes we you know we jump into episodes i'm like what is that fuck it let's jump in so i learned a lot it's really cool but uh hiroku yoda and matt alt explain it perfectly in their survival guide which is where pretty much our, our sources are coming from mm-hmm. it's a really awesome book check it out it's called uh the yure attack japanese ghost survival guide guide it's a, it's last week we read 
part one of a three-part series. This is part two. This is about Yuri's, and it's by the same people. Amazing book. I just, I, I'm actually going to get the book because if you guys buy the Kindle version, it's, it's cool. It gives you the same information. But the book is set up where, like, every time you open a page, it looks like a file with clipboards. And like notes and all that text oh, written down. Shit. It's kind of uh, like you're reading like, kind of like files. Case file. Yeah. Kind of case file, yeah. That's ah, cool. okay, cool. Yeah, so it's like art and, and stuff. And the Kindle version doesn't have that. No, no, no. no. That yeah. style. Yeah. No, it doesn't, huh? Um, uh. The only difference is like a two-buck difference. The Kindle version was 10 bucks. The yeah. hardcover is like 12, 13 yeah. bucks. Uh-huh. But, but because Amazon's not being reliable right now because yeah. of what's going on, I'd rather just download it right now and then get it order today and get it like fucking three weeks from now yeah but uh some of the yokai that can be found in the homes uh the carvings and paintings uh but you won't actually find that of yude is being displayed in the same nature because there's a bunch of like some of the 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 yokai that i mentioned last week are very holy yokai godly to the point where like you know they're they're imprinted in all these items because they represent good luck, good fortune, all that stuff. But you don't do the same exact thing with Ure. Especially because, and I'll mention in, in my Ure, that there's some that are maleficent. That their their duty is, is not so that way they could ask for help in your case, but to continue doing wrong because wrong was done to them. And so think about it this way. It's like having a portrait of La Llorona in your dining room. You don't mm. want that. Because Maybe I do. Unless you want a ghost haunting for the rest of your life, then go get go get you some. I, I'm a lonely man, bro. Okay, okay. I need some company. What, so Yorona's gonna be like, you know what, you bug, you bug. Leave Dude, me alone. She's like, you know what, I'm a, she I'm a, turns me down. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go look for some other children, hey, bro. What if the Yorona? Man, child, bro. Bro, what if the Yorona underneath the dress is a nalgona? Oh, she's a nalgona. What if it's another face? That's where the real Yoros come from. I'm going to be the next Yoron after that's the case. <laughs> All right. So, according to Hiroku Yada and Matt Alt, Isora is not one of the more famous female Ures out there. But I actually found her to be pretty interesting because of her method of killing. Hmm. And I'll go into a, a bit of that later. So, let's talk about her origin story. The story was first originated from the Kibitsu Cauldron from Ugetsu Monogatori, translated as the Tells of the Moonlight and Rain. Sometime in the late 1600s, early 1700s, in a village in Japan formerly known as Arai, now Takasago, lived a young man by the name of Shotaro. And Shotaro was living a pretty prosperous life. His father was a successful farmer, and his family lived more than comfortably. So much so that Shotaro was actually a lazy piece of shit who reaped off his family's benefits. While his father was out tending to his crops by the break of dawn, his lazy ass son was passed out in bed after a long night of partying, getting shit faced with sake, and hooking up with the village girls. And this has been a routine of Shotaro for a long time, and his parents were pretty sick of it. They had enough of their son being a piece of shit and hearing the rest of the villagers letting them know how much of a piece of shit of a son he was. So then they hired a matchmaker and told her, find my son the perfect wife. Doesn't matter how much it'll cost and how long it'll take, but make sure that she is absolutely perfect for him. The parents felt 
that hopefully by finding a wife for their son, that he would finally stop his whore-ass ways and settle down. <laughs> so the matchmaker went out for a hunt. She looked and looked and looked and keep looking until finally she got a match. And her name, as you guessed it, Isora. Isora was the most beautiful girl in the village and was just reaching her adulthood at the age of 17. She was the daughter of the head priest of the temple nearby. The whole family was, well, pretty nice and grateful after hearing that, there's, that the son of a wealthy farmer wanted her hand in marriage. The family agreed to meet and then immediately set a date for the marriage. Mm. The day of the wedding, Isora's father wanted to conduct a secret ceremony to see if the couple will have a prosperous marriage. He gathered his shrine maidens and conducted the Kibitsu cauldron ritual. The father made offerings to the gods and boiled hot water within this sacred wooden cauldron. If the boiling water made a deep sound like the bellow of a cow, this meant the couple will live a happy life. However, the cauldron was quiet. Not only that, but the insects that were just making noise right outside the temple just became eerily silent. This was not good. This was not a good sign for the couple. The father was now hesitant to marry them both as he felt that the marriage will end in utter disaster. His wife, devastated, he begged her husband to marry them as she felt that the ritual was not performed correctly and desperately wanted to see her daughter married. Eventually, the father gave in and then married the two. Shotaro and Isora moved together into their new home and despite the cauldron's foretelling, they're living in bliss. Isora will sometimes perform her koto floor harp and entertain her new husband. Shotaro enjoyed his wife's playing just as much as he enjoyed listening to her poetry. They seemed very happy together. But much like the lead the Orlando Wizards had against the Los Angeles Lakers in the recent scrimmage this past Monday, it was short-lived. Hmm. Like I mentioned before. Hold on, that's a reference you're talking about? That was a reference. That was a fucking reference? It was short-lived. Okay, short-lived, huh? Not much to it. Yeah. It didn't last very long. They didn't even get past like the middle of the first quarter. Moses knows. Moses knows. Like I mentioned before, (laughs) Shotaro was just a piece of shit. As wonderful as Isora was deep down inside, Shotaro was still an ungrateful ass who will want to go out to his old ways. So this guy decides to have an affair with a prostitute by the name of Sole. And he was not secretive about it at all. Shotaro even paid off her contract just so that he could have her all to himself. The hood? The the, The hood. Yes, the hood. The hood. The mark of the hood. Yes, that one. Okay. He bought her contract like a fucking free agent? She's just like, you know what? You don't need to work for anyone else anymore. Damn. Just like that. Turned a hoe into a housewife. There you go. Real quick. Obviously, Isora knew about the affair and felt deeply hurt. Isora begged her husband to stop cheating on her and stay home. Mm. But the more she begged, the more Shotaro wanted to leave the house. Once news went out about this and Shotaro's parents found out about this all, 
they cut his funding and forced him to stay with his wife indoors. And his parents told him that he, if he did not mend things back with his wife and is caught with his mistress yet again, he can kiss his inheritance goodbye. Ooh. As, week, as a week went by of Shotaro being, quote unquote, a good boy, they went crying to his wife, begging for forgiveness. He let her know that he was truly sorry for his actions and promised her that he would never do it again. But he did have a condition. He asked for money from her so that he can give it to Sode, his mistress, then she can start a brand new life in the city, away from both of them. All things considered, Isora believed him and wanted her husband back, and so she gave him the money. Oh boy! Shotaro thanked his wife, and then took the money and left her for Sode. <laughs> She got bamboozled? She got bamboozled. She got bamboozled. He was like, ah it's a trick. God <laughs> damn. So poor Isora was crushed, her heart broken, her soul in complete and utter darkness. She damn. couldn't eat, she couldn't sleep, and her health was at risk. Both ma- families managed to pay for absolute best medical care, but even then, that was not enough. Isora passed away soon after but this was not the last that either Shotaro or Sode have seen Dang, of her she, she got called haunted so Shotaro and his mistress now girlfriend <laughs> I guess moved into a home in a nearby village soon after however turmoil began mm. Sode became gravely ill it started off as a common flu but Sode began complaining about a pain in her chest she said that as, as, as it felt as quote an alien presence was trying to get out. She began hallucinating, and a week later of fighting off the disease, she passed away. Shotaro was in grief as he buried his girlfriend. But at the sight of another woman tending the grave next to Sode, he quickly jumped out of his sadness. <laughs> he spared no time to move on. And that woman was actually tending her boss's dead husband and said that the boss was recently whittled and she was beautiful. And she asked if Shotaro would like to follow her back to meet the widow. Of course he said yes, and he followed her back. I like this guy. When they both arrived, Shotaro can see her silhouette behind the window blinds, and the servant left them both to talk. When the quote-unquote widow revealed herself, it was her his ex-wife, Isora, he was in shock. How can his wife be alive? He heard from his family that she passed away. She said, let me show you how to repay your cruelty. Shrieked Isora as she turned herself with sunken eyes and ashen skin. Shotaro fainted at the sight of his ghoulish looking ex-wife. And when he woke up, he was in an empty field. And believe that this was the yure of his ex-wife. She made the whole illusion up to scare him for his wrongdoings. But Shotaro did not want to take this trickery for granted. And so he consulted uh, an omnyoji, which is an exorcist, to help with his haunting. haunting. The omnyoji told him to place a sacred Ufoda slips on his doors to prevent the Yuri ex-wife from entering his home. But 
If he wants to rid of her haunting, he has to stay in home for exactly 42 days and nights. And so he waited. Both of them waited. The Yure Visora was cunning. She waited until the very last night <clears throat> to bid her doing. <clears throat> and from outside the, wi- the window, she created the illusion that the sun was already rising. Shotaro saw the gleaming sun and ran out to claim his victory. But as he opened the doors, he was confronted by darkness and immediately regretted his grave mistake. A shriek was heard by the next door neighbor and immediately running towards the source of what was met at Shotaro's home. But there was no trace of Shotaro, only the blood splattered walls and a top knotted scalp that belonged to him. His body was never found. So he was just a head? So it was just a scalp with his hair that was left. Or just a. Yep. And so that's how she kills. And that's how Kappa becomes a Kappa. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, fortunately enough, this ghost is only here to haunt her own husband, and that's it. But if you find yourself being haunted by an Isora like ghosts, and you find yourself and Myoji to help you out, just make sure you stay in the house for the whole 42 days, which, I mean, nowadays is pretty easy considering that we've been experts of this quarantine life. You think? Yeah, you would. You you'd you think. would assume. You would assume we'd be experts, but oh, contrary no. to belief, I, on I, paper, at first, at first, we were okay. You know, you would stock up in your food, get your toilet paper, I guess. Well, no, well, two people got toilet paper. But if you're a prick and you can't handle staying indoors, which I mean, that's most of us, I guess. I'm a homebody. I'm good. Then you could always, you know, buy yourself a dozen of wigs. That way, if you saw us try to yank your head. Out of your hair out of your scalp, then she could take your wig first before taking your scalp. And you just run back inside. You just, and that you think she ever got bamboozled? Somebody actually tried that. Soda. I don't think so. Mostly don't because think so? mostly because it's a tale. This is this is in like a legit. That's one of one, right? Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the story of Isora seeking revenge. So don't be an asshole. Unless you want to be haunted for the rest of your life I mean, and get your scalp yanked out of you. He kind of deserved it. He, oh, he deserved it. He, he deserved definitely it. deserved it. Did he? Yeah. Did not explain that. Bro, <laughs> he was like, oh, my wife, hey. So now we're going to be talking about, well, I'm going to be talking about the Oiwa. Oiwa? Oiwa. Oh, yeah. Uh, those, and those are all different translations for this word. <laughs> Also known as the horror or Yutsuya. Ooh. Ooh, the horror. That's literally the only reason why I chose this one, just because I had that. Horror. The, the horror? Yeah, the, the horror, horror of. The horror. Now, let's see if it's true. You horrors. bamboozled me with that freaking sort of sexy fucking segment that you supposedly had. Yeah, that wasn't sexy at all, but uh, hopefully you're. It was sexy. You, it was like, what? <laughs> sexy segment, bro. It was the same. I even put sexy music. That was like like porn jazz in the background. <laughs> porn was, jazz. Was sexy saxophone man or whatever the fuck. Sexy sax man. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Oyuwa's date of death was in 1636, and it was by suicide. Mm. She's infamous for having her for having her right side of her face horribly scarred. Ooh. She has bald spots with her hair falling out, and is sometimes portrayed as having one eye. Oh, it's my type of girl. Mm. Her thing is to constantly manifest herself when going after her victim. 
just making clones of herself oh, shit. over and over again until this person is surrounded by clones of her ghosts. All right, take that back. All egging the person to kill themselves. But the most fucked up part is this is based on the true story. Oh, shit. If you guys want to know what she looks like, just go to our Instagram, Weird History, It Retails Pod. And for you guys here, she's the one on the left. She makes clones of herself and keeps telling the person she's after. Do it. Do it. Kill yourself. Kill yourself. And like, homies over here is about a seppuku. Oh. Man, I would just start fapping, bro. (laughs) What are you going to do? So. (laughs) She's one of Japan's most famous, most written about Yuri. Yurei has inspired countless of stories and movies, including The Ring. It's her mm. white dress and oh, scarred face that is the first thing people in Japan think of when they hear the word Yurei. So the story of Oiwa is complicated. There's a lot of shit that goes on. And there's a reason why her story is kind of all over the place. Some stories mention a little part of this, a little bit of part of that, but whatever, whatever. Just because there's a lot to it. But luckily... We have an 1825 Kabuki, which is a show. You know the shows? Do you know what, kabuki, what Kabukis are? Show? Mm-hmm. Oh, but do you know what a Kabuki is? No, right? No, no. Do you, do you, do you guys remember Tropic Thunder? Okay. Like remember, little sheds? No, Tropic Thunder. Remember the show that they were doing where they made him play? Um, oh, the actual play? Yeah, the, the play, you know, where it's actors where they oh, dress in. like theater? Theater, yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. That's what a kabuki is. Okay, okay. So thanks to an 1825 kabuki that we can go, that's what we're going to go off of thanks to this 1825 kabuki, right? Okay. And let me tell you, hmm, the drama this story packs, bro. Oh, how much drama, bro? You, ca- you piqued my attention, is bro. more than Rosa de Guadalupe? Because I fucking love drama. Bro, it's like a Mexican soap opera, bro. Oh, that's, that's a lot. So Oiwa, she's married to a disgraced samurai named Amon. Mm. But after one of their fights, Oiwa's father takes her home. Amon tries to beg forgive for forgiveness during a private meeting, but ends up stabbing Oiwa's father to death. What? After her father revealed he had proof that Amon had stole money from his previous government job, which is why he's a disgraced samurai. Mm. Ah. Oiwa's sister, Osiri, is happily married to a loyal man named Yomoshishi. But now, but now Saki, the local neighborhood medicine man, had always had a thing for Osari. Mm. And decides that on the same night, the same very night that Aimon killed Oiwa and Osari's sister, he was going to go and murder Yomoshishi. Oh, shit. The, the, the husband, husband. husband of the sister. This is some drama. Right, so y'all follow me so far, right? Okay. It stinks. Not nice. Good. <laughs> so when Oiwa and Asoda stumble on their scenes, on their respective scenes, because they're separate, they're not together, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when they see what happened, Aimon and Aosoki, they both convinced the sisters that their father and husband were killed in a robbery. They console the sisters by promising they'll get the revenge on whatever villain did these foul deeds, and life moved on. Amon reunited with Oiwa, and Aosuki was able to marry Osore. Medicine man. The medicine man. But dumb fuck Amon, the samurai, 
loses interest in Oiwa after she gives birth to their child, and he begins focusing his attention on Ume, the daughter of a high-ranking government official. Wanting to get out of the marriage, Amon bribes a masseuse to seduce his wife in order for him to get, in, to get a divorce from her. So he's like, dude, I need to get out of here. I found this other chick. Let me pay this dude to fuck my girl. And I'll be like, you know what? I'm out. She fucked this dude. I ain't gonna stay with her. Right, right. Right? Because he's trying to look like a bad guy or anymore like a piece of shit. Meanwhile, so he's trying to bribe them. He bribes them with Sue's. This is what's gonna happen. Meanwhile, Ume, who's the side piece, she wants to get married with Amon. So she takes matters into her own hands. And she sends Oiwa a little gift. A poison disguised as medicinal cream. So during her massage, Oiwa decides to put on the facial cream and immediately the poison does its job. The skin off Oiwa's face starts to melt off and her hair starts coming off in clumps, which is why she looks like the way she does. Leaving her disfigured. The masseuse freaks out He's like, well, I'm not going to fuck you now. So <laughs> he tells Oiwa about the whole thing. Look, I was I was paid to come here and fuck you so your husband could divorce you and marry side piece. She's, he's telling her this. He's telling this whole story. While all this shit's going on. While, she, while her half of her face is burning. Yeah, yeah. She's looking in the mirror, looking at her being disfigured. And the masseuse is like, look, I was paid to fuck you, but you know, it's not going to happen. So this is what happened. <laughs> So, after she finds out the news, sadly enough, she commits suicide while putting a curse on the man who'd wronged her, who, who had wronged her, just her husband, right. her husband, Aiman. Aiman responds to all of this by grabbing her corpse and nailing it to a door. Oh, and shit. on the other side of the door, he nails the body the corpse of a lawyer who had been sniffing a little too close for his comfort. He then hurls the doors into the Kanda River to make it seem like they were a couple that had died in a love suicide. Right? So he nailed the body of his wife and the lawyer threw them into a river. So he killed the lawyer, though. He killed the lawyer. Damn. He got murked. He was sniffing, bro. (laughs) Sniff on death. It stinks. <laughs> then nice. things get a little spicy. Oh, it's worse. When Ooh. on when oh on my. when on Amon and Ume's wedding. Okay, Oiwa furiously appears. I thought that line was funny. She furiously, furiously appears. She comes in just screaming, making Amon to start slashing at her with his sword. Remember, he's a samurai, so he's good with it. So he's a good swordsman. He's just running around the room trying to slash the ghost. This is a disgrace, Samurai? Amon, yeah. yeah. This, this is at Amon and Uday's wedding. Right. Oiwa appears and he freaks out, takes out a sword and starts swinging at Oiwa. Yeah. Well, he's not paying attention. And he accidentally kills Ume, <gasps> his bride to be. Oh, shit. Amon's not paying attention. He sucks. He's continuing trying to slash and slash and slash at Iowa. And he also accidentally kills Ume's father. It's becoming like Scary Movie 1 all over again. So Ume's family, they start chasing Amon, trying to catch them. Because to them, 
He's just running around hacking at people because they can't see Oiwa. <gasps> Oiwa only appears oh. to him. There's so much drama. Pop my so ear. as he's running, he grabs Ume's mother, the mother of his now deceased side piece wife, right. and chucks her into a river to make his escape. He's like, it's either me or the family's either going to chase me or they're going to go after the mom. They're going to save the mom or go after me. Well, he chucks her and the mom drowns, but he f- keeps going. He fucks off. No one saved the, the mom? Well, they did, but she's an old lady. By the time they got to her, she had she had already drowned. It's Damn. too late. It's okay. too late. What a getaway. Meanwhile. I don't know if I could take more, dude. But wait, there's more. Now, Suki, he's finally going to get his wish. When Asore, Oiwa's sister, agrees to get his dick wet. He's like, oh, finally gonna smash, bro. But the second they get into bed, Asore's loyal ex-husband, Yomoshimo, appears in the room. So now Suke, he then tries to wrestle with his throbbing baby meat with the ghost. And they're wrestling all over the room, tussing everywhere. And during this fight, Asole is killed. The other sister is killed. And it is here where it turns out that Osore uh-huh. was none other than Amon's long-lost sister. So shocked. Now Suke commit suicide because he was about to fuck his long lost sister what kind of drama is this man hey bro you want drama this is drama for you baby so back to Amon he managed to escape Uma's family but he can't escape his deformed his deformed dead ex-wife she appears everywhere even in the form of lanterns swinging over his head Broke and starving while on the run, he's like, "I need, I need a fish. I need, I, I need a fish. I'm starving. I, I just need a fish." There's an eight. He hasn't eaten in like whatever how long it's been. Only to hook the door that his wife's horribly rotten corpse was oh. nailed to. He threw a fishing line, and the only thing he caught was the door. The body of his dead ex-wife was fucking nailed to. So Sun books it. He's like, fuck this. But he still can't escape the ghostly voices that fill his ear. So he finally leaves the city and moves to an isolated cottage on Snake Mountain. Oh, let's see. But still, he can't escape. Oiwa's face haunts him from the windows, the walls, floors, even the trees and vines outside. They make they make the shape of Oiwa's face. But and he tries to kill himself. Over and over and over and over again. But each time Oiwa's hand blocks the blade over and over and over and over again. Damn. Amon's a mess. He's a wreck. He's dying of... He's just a fucking bubbly... He's just a mess. When he finally gets his break, 
when the ghost or your mushishi, the loyal ex-husband, mm-hmm. pops up and kills him, finally putting him out of his misery. Wait, there's one. Making this one beautiful, happy ending. <laughs> As Yomoshishi and Oiwa have nasty, wet, mac and cheese-ass ghost sex. I'm just talking about the last part. But that's how the story <laughs> ends. The, the husband of, of the sister ends right. up killing Aimon. Right. Hey, I'm not going to lie. That was like 10 out of 10 drama. And I'm right. a drama it's, fanatic. It's that's just, sad. It had everything. It's a lot. But that's the story of how of, of, of Oiwa. Oh why she's disfigured. Why she goes after the scorn. Things of that nature. So last episode, I explained how if you encounter a certain yokai, how you could survive the encounter. And gosh damn it, I'm going to do it again. Because I don't want any of my listeners getting got. Because we need these download numbers. <laughs> so as scary as it seems being the focal point of Oiwa's revenge, you can bet you're not going to die. Because she is not out for death. She's out to make you a miserable fuck. Oh. So it's up to you to decide if that's a good thing or not. If being miserable is better than being you know, getting got. So there are stories where people have gotten badly injured by the Oiwa. Mainly those who portray her in Kabuki and other media productions. Oh. So it's like the curse of, of, um, of of the role. Or so right. if someone plays Oiwa in a movie or things, they usually end up getting hurt. Gonna die. So if you're going to play Oiwa in in, in anything you, you you do, whether it's a play, podcast, whatever it is, here's what you do: you go to fucking Tokyo and you visit a grave and you show some fucking respect. Put some respect on it. You gotta put some respect on her name. All three of them. What? What? Huh? What? What? <laughs> what? Nothing. What? But if you want to be safe, safe. All right. You can visit the Tamiya Shrine, which is located on the site of Oiwa's family home, and for a small fee, you know, a little paper. All right. The priest there will perform a custom as one of a kind. Shinto exorcism to make sure to cut any ties one might have to Oiwa's pissed off spirit. Also, one of Oiwa's manifestations is one of a lantern, which some may confuse for the very similar looking yokai known as the Burabura. Mm. Right? But the way to tell the difference between the two is that the yokai has no hair. So the Buddha so the, the Buddha Buddha has no hair. So if you see a lantern, it's floating. And it's floating. And if it has hair, that's Oiwa. But if it doesn't have no hair, that's the Buddha Buddha. 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 I think in this case, I, I'd rather get got. Rather get got? Would you? Got. Imagine just like everywhere. This doesn't leave you alone. Everywhere you go. Everywhere. It's getting scared of shit. But if it's everywhere, I wouldn't. Eventually, I wouldn't be scared. Think so? Yeah. Maybe it's not being scared. Maybe it just drives you to madness. But like, it forces you to isolation, and like, you're over here like trying to fish. I don't think. I think at some point you're you're just she'll just be in the annoying background, you know, like annoying background, (laughs) like just yapping behind here. That's right. She's just yap 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 yap. Yeah, you're just like all right. You just learn to live. You know, you just learn to live with it, like. For example, if you're gonna like if you're gonna eat cereal, you know to serve yourself two bowls because the first one she's gonna knock it out of your hand. So you just <laughs> sit out two bowls. So you just eat the. You know what? Eventually, she's gonna become part of the routine. 
You shave yourself and there's no milk. Fuck! She spills all the milk. She was drinking milk. Why is this bitch drinking milk? Oh, fuck! You talked about the vengeance. I'm going to go back to the Sad Ghost Club. Damn, you're a sad boy. I got, well, last uh, on the yokai, I had the useless uh, uh, yokais who really don't do much. Now you got the they sad really boys. do service. Now I got the Sad Ghost Club. Yeah. The lonely. And it's, and it's pretty sad. Was it sad in the first one? The first one wasn't that sad, right? Was it sad? I forgot what was the first one. The, was dude, the, first one? the dude who... who, who, who you know oh, yeah. Dying? Yeah, the fisherman. Yeah, okay, lake. it wasn't that yeah. sad. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty sad. This is a story of a ghost known as Miyagi. She was a beloved wife. Okay. Cause of death. Hmm. Heartbreak. Date of death, 1456. Oh, we've all been there. Heartbreak oh. or 1456? <laughs> <laughs> whichever yeah, one. I'm curious, Moses, huh? Time traveling. We might have some time traveling listeners. Who knows? I'm just trying to I vibe. I'm trying to vibe with the listener, bro. It's about fucking time. It's about time, I guess. And this respect. is her story. Hey, Achi, I'm gonna need you to shut the fuck up. Thanks, bro. And this <laughs> is her story. <laughs> Miyagi. Katsushiro's family which is her husband. They lived and owned in the village where their work was based on the back-breaking labor of rice farming. Years have passed by. The parents of Katsushiru, the husband of Miyagi, was then given, inherited the land of the rice. And he realized, you know what? This ain't for me. I hate doing this shit. I'm not going to take care of the land. So he didn't. The land went to shit. And he sold the land. But then he had a scheme. He was like, you know what? I'm going to sell this shit. And I'm going to buy some silk. I'm going to go to uh, fucking. Um, I'm going to go to another state. Another capital. And I'm going to sell it. And I'm going to come back. I'm going to bring a fuck ton of money from the silk. Miyagi. His beloved wife which was described as being super beautiful and intelligent, try to convince them, please, don't go. Forget the plan. We'll figure out something else. Just don't leave me. And he's like, babe, don't worry about it. I'm leaving. I'm going to sell this shit. I'm going to come back, and we're going to be good. This is foolproof. Yep. Pretty I, much. I heard it. This shit ain't going to fail. No oh boy, it failed. So... He goes off. He goes, gets to the other state, and he sells all his cloth. He gets a good amount of profit. And then, this is where shit hits the fan. Mm. At that state, there was a war that broke out between two warlords, which lasted for seven years. Five. That's where he was at. That's where he was at. Damn. The thing is, the loser of that war was banished. So they were banished, forced to leave, and they resided at his old town. The old town of Katsushiru, the husband of Migaya. So finally, he was able to cross the land because they were... It was, it, it was hard to travel at the time. So he waited seven years? He waited for a long time. Finally, he was able to travel back to his village. That's where the Seiyosin song comes from. 
Seven years. Bro, I don't even want to wait 30 minutes for yeah. Raising Canes. This motherfucker waited and seven Miyagi. years. Yeah, seven years. The wife waited seven years as well. Miyagi anxiously awaited the return of her husband. But autumn came and went with no sign of Katsushiri. Happened year after year after year after year. So, Katsushiru finally crossed that bridge that connected to his village. And there was the dwelling, his ramshack, his house was still standing. Just as he remembered it, just a little bit more crappy. Yeah. And, he, and he only remembered it because there was a specific tree that was laid out next to it. After seven years, he comes back, he's like, I live in this shit <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so this is him going back after he sold the silk. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the worst part is, on the travel back, he was robbed, beaten, lost everything. So everything he, he lose his life. He, everything everything he gained. Exactly. Fuck. Went to shit. Yet, he was happy to see that there was this house, which you remember he lived in, and there was a light, thinking that his wife is there waiting for him. Katsushiro's heart began to pound as he approached the door. Okay. It slid open before Katsushiro, and there she was, Miyagi, his beloved wife, who stood before him. Okay. She was still beautiful, in spite of having worn clothes and greamy skin. So, they embraced themselves. They hugged, they cried, they made love. He told her his story. He pleaded for forgiveness. And so, they laid to bed, they went to sleep. First time in seven years that they were in bed together. Right, right. Early the next morning, after he enjoyed sleeping throughout those years, he finally enjoyed a good night's sleep with his beloved wife. He was awakened by a drip of water, and he looked up through the clouds, and he was kind of baffled, saying, why is my roof gone? Right. And he starts looking around his house. His house was completely destroyed. The walls were torn. There was no roof. The inside was decaying. Old dust. And then he looked for his wife. She was nowhere to be around. So, he goes around looking for his beloved wife. Couldn't find her. And he went back to the bedroom in which they shared he noticed the floorboards in one corner had been pulled up. And what he found was a tiny burial mound with faded letters that he knew was the writing of his wife. And it stated, Believing he would soon return, deceived by my heart, I lived on until today. Later, Katsushiru, the husband of Miyagi, learned that she had died many years ago. Oh, shit. So what he encountered was all an illusion. His house was completely destroyed. 
But his wife waited. She didn't cross until he returned. Damn. Finding that he did. They slept together. They embraced it together for one last time. He had ghost sex. And when he woke up, the illusion went away. And she crossed. And that's the story of this sad ghost club of Miyagi. Imagine slanging such good dick that someone dies and it won't cross over into the habit just one, <laughs> one more time. time. So, beat me to it, yeah. So it wasn't his presence, it was his dick. He cried and cried and cried. Dummy begging for forgiveness because he was like, fuck, you were right. I should have not have left you. And he did, and he paid the price. I got she no, died of a heartbreak. I got no farm, I got no money. Yeah. I got no house, he did it. no wife. You got nothing. I probably caught something because I fucked <laughs> I got no money to go check. This is hard. What do I do? He got ghost herp. He got ghost herp? <laughs> ghost herp. Oh, no. And story of Miyagi. You kind of inspired me here, Josh. Hmm. All right, boys and girls. Time to get your happy tissue ready. Oh, Happy tissue? Because the next one is actually going to be, it's probably going to, you know, you're going to probably shed a little tear. So, okay. You know, oh, yeah. from where? So this is a tale of the futon of Totori. Oh, is this, 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 this a sexy segment? So this story takes place in a pretty remote town by the name of Totori, located in western Honshu. And a not-so-wealthy uh, profiteer invested his earnings into purchasing a small inn for travelers to stop by and, you know, relax, you know, for a bit before continuing on with their journey. With all the money he spent buying the building, he used the rest of it uh, to buy secondhand goods, such as furnishings from a local pawn shop. Everything from the blankets with the guests slept in to the plates and forks that they eat, used to eat from, he purchased secondhand from this local pawn shop. After finishing his renovations, he opened his doors and it didn't take long for his first guest to arrive. A traveling merchant was welcomed with such celebration and pamper. The merchant was thankful and felt lucky to have picked this spot, especially since the innkeeper even threw in a warm sake for the cold winter night. After filling up on sake, the keeper walked his stumbling-ass guest to his room (laughs) and bid him a good night. And at last, it was Mimi's time. Mm. The merchant only slept for a few hours, though, because there was a small mumble that awoken him from his slumber. He heard voices, but thought to himself, it's probably just other tenants. Suck dick, suck dick. He closed his eyes, but he continued hearing these voices. They were actually the voices of children. Two boys. Are you cold, Anisan? No, but you are, right? Oh, it's probably the innkeeper's children. But I don't think so. I don't think so. As a matter of fact, I don't remember seeing anyone else but the innkeeper. The merchant proceeded to cover his ears with his pillow. Nothing. He added a blanket. Nothing. Are you cold, Annie's son? No, but you are, right? The voices kept getting louder. As a matter of fact, the more he tried covering his ears, the louder the voices became. I must be hallucinating or drunk from the sake. The merchant 
he thought to himself. I can't take it anymore. Are you cold, Anissa? No, but you are, right? They said again. The voices are coming from under his covers. The man's hairs raised. Every nerve of his body was running haywire, like how your body gets after getting goosebumps. That shiver you feel down your spine. He packed his belongings and ran to the innkeeper, slamming intensely to his door. Hey man, I don't know what shit you're playing out here, but I can't stay here any longer. What do you mean? Why are you waking me up so late? <laughs> yeah, whatever trick you're playing, it's, it's gone too far. There's these two boys in my room and I just, I just want to get out of here. No, 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 don't, don't leave. It's probably just a nightmare that you had from all the sake you drank. You know what? Forget it. Just keep my money. I'm going out. And just like that, the merchant ran off into the cold night. The innkeeper was in shock. This was his first guest. It didn't even last the entire night. But he think, didn't think much of it. He just went back to bed. Not long after, he received his second guest the very next day. Gave him a celebration. Took him to his room. The la That the last guest uh, was stayed in the previous night. And made sure to give him his sake after he let him into his room. So he's not getting stumbled drunk up to, up to his room. But he gave him the same room instead of giving him a different one? Yeah, he gave him the same room. Nice. So around the same time as the previous night, his next guest pounded on the innkeeper's door and woke him up to let him know that he was leaving. This guest was just as much in shock as the first one that was mentioned and mentioned the voices of the two little boys yet again. This guy ran out into a snowstorm and didn't even touch his complimentary sake. Now the innkeeper knows something's up. The next night, the innkeeper decided to sleep in the guest room to see if he could solve this mystery of his fleeing guests. Hmm. I like how the I like how the um, innkeeper he finally decided he finally realized something was wrong. He's like, "All right, this guy didn't drink his, this guy didn't drink his sake. Something must be up." No, he's not drunk, so I think may be telling the truth. Then he heard, Are you cold, Anisan? No, but you are, right? The next morning, the innkeeper rushed to the pawn shop and demanded to know who was the owner of the bedding that he purchased from. The pawn shop owner said, he, Well, he purchased it from someone else. Hmm. And from there, the innkeeper followed the trail until he finally learned to find out about the awful story behind the haunted futon. And it went like so. A young couple arrived in Totori on a cold winter along with their two boys looking for work. The boys were just six and eight years old. Both of the parents passed away suddenly from unknown reasons, leaving the two boys as orphans. Sometimes, when the parents couldn't make ends meet, they would pawn off some of their belongings. And the two boys remember this from them and so they did the same. The boys were pawning one thing after another just enough to pay for rent for their apartment and to eat small bits of food that they can. Of course, this only lasted so long. When the kids couldn't afford to pay rent anymore, the landlord held no mercy and kicked them out to sleep on the cold streets of Totori. Damn. 
The brothers had nothing else except a futon quilt to provide them with some warmth. It was snowing that night, and the two boys were buried by the snowfall. Are you cold, Anisan? No, but you are, right? And those were the final words of the boys before they slumbered into their eternal sleep. Damn. So the innkeeper of Totori donated the bedding to the monks of a local temple. They then blessed the sheets and buried it because only then will the boys finally rest in peace. Mm. Now something that I found interesting about this is that the authors of the book, uh, The Yuri Attack, is that this story is actually pretty famous and it's one of the first kaidan ghost stories to reach the western side of the world courtesy of Lafcadio Hearn and Frederick Henland Davis who are, as he mentions, Japan, Japanologists or something like that. Okay. Yeah. And so not only that, but Totori is actually one of the largest hubs of sources for folklore and ghost stories. We mentioned the show in the previous show, previous episode, that the show Gegege no Kitaro in our last episode on Yokai, which is a pretty popular man- manga and TV show that pretty much brought Yokai into these two mediums. Well, it turns out that the creator, Mitsuki Shiguru, was actually born here in Totari. Even the airport was renamed to Yonago Kitaro Airport. There's a little fun fact for you. Oh. And that is the story of the futon of Totori. If someone ever buys my futon, all they're going to hear is... <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll see it, too. No, they ain't going to see it. They're going to see shit. And I don't think you know how to use happy tissue. In, I, don't know, I, I don't know what you... Uh, I don't think do you, you know, know what, what a happy tissue is? I do. I'm saying that you're using that for a different purpose here. That's why well, I said that, we're going to find out. What was so What was so happy about the that story? That was very was, misleading. Was, that was that was that should have been one of my brother's story. That's a sad. Yeah, that's, that's a, a sad, sad story. story. Is, I why, think that fell into the sad category. What, what, why do you think I said I got inspired by you? You didn't. You didn't. Context. Context. Come on now. Well, then you threw us the happy tissue. Yeah, I want to throw you a little curveball, make you think like, oh, okay, we're getting some sexy time, and then then you're gonna use that happy These tissue. Two kids died. Daira. Ay way. The. Fuck no, Masaka though. What did you call? That's me? the name of my next Jedi. Hold on, I'm gonna need you to repeat that slow and not that fucking loud. Yeah. Tyra, oh Tyra, no Masaka though. Killed the March 940. This angry Onryo, which is the top of year, right? She got murdered. Haunts Tokyo by causing death, disaster, and misfortune. One of Tokyo's most famous ghosts is that of a man that many consider to be Japan's very first samurai. That was Japan's first samurai and became a yure? A yure. Damn. Decapitated on the battlefield, his disembodied head said, fuck this, and refused to go down and took on a life of its own. What? So to show how much his name still means to people, Masakura Shrine? occupies some of the most wanted real estate in all of Tokyo. It's surrounded by skyscrapers, is a five-minute walk from the Imperial Palace, but even to this day, 
no one wants to reclaim this land from Asakuro as they don't want to feel the fury of this angry spirit. It's a little lot built in the middle of Tokyo. Everything Tokyo is super modernized except for this one little lot. That's that's his shrine. Ooh. Today it's estimated that last time it was um appraised, it was worth like fifteen that little plot was like fifteen million dollars in a, in today's money. This what? is this is like in the nineties. Now it's it's countless times more. Countless times more. But no no, no one wants to fuck with this no one wants to fuck with it. Yep. So, who was Masakado? He was a minor but successful warlord. His ambitions and goals they always put him at odds with the imperial government. So he decided, fuck this, fuck you, I'm out. And he established his own independent kingdom in the Kanto region. Mm. Another Pokemon reference. Get out of here. And he proclaimed himself the new emperor of Japan. He's like, I'm the new emperor of Japan. Man. So in, rep- so in response to this... The existing government of the old emperor of Japan said, "Fuck you!" and he put a pound and he put a bounty on Masakuro's head. Oh, so within the next two months, Masakuro died, taken down by an arrow between the eyes during a battle. The emperor's men decapitated the corpse and carried the head to Kyoto for a public showing. Pissed off that they dare remove his head from his body, Masakuro's head took to the skies. His head woke up, said, "Fuck you!" and took to the skies and flew to Kanto to look for his body. He searched far and wide to make himself whole again, but to no success. Tired from all the searching, Masakuro's tired head crashed down over a tiny village called Edo, which over centuries would later grow to be known as Tokyo. Oh. And it rested on a plot of land that is forever known as Masakuro no Kubisaka, or the hill of Masakuro's head. Scared shitless, the villagers washed the head, buried it, and built a memorial stone to make him happy. Generations and generations have adopted Masakuro's head as a symbol of anti-authoritarian power. So Masakuro, he has a list of atrocities and calamities that have been tied to his name, making everything that's surrounding him sort of like the greatest hits when it comes to his influence. Like a lot of bad shit that's happened in Tokyo has been because of it, because of Masakuro. Like for example, when the great Kanto earthquake of 1923 destroyed much of the city, Tokyo's ministry of finance, they took this opportunity to level the hill of Masakuro's head. Filling in the pond with the Japanese samurai's head was washed and they erected a temporary office building on the spot. Within the next two years, 14 employees had died. Oh, shit. They all died from accidents, illnesses, and other misfortunes, including the minister of finance himself. Damn. So he got the, got? He got got. Everyone's getting got. got. In the meantime, a slew of inexplicable injuries broke out among the other employees. People were getting their feet cut off their legs like just random places like someone's like someone's bringing uh there was a thing where someone's trying to bring in a huge um drawer like for like a, um to keep files in right mm-hmm. and as the op- like they were leaning in someone wasn't paying attention and the thing fell and the people that were holding it they all lost their arms because it fell and squished all of their arms some final Damn. destination shit man so mounting fear 
of treading upon the cursed ground. Like, they were getting scared. They're like, all right, this led officials to level the building and rebuild the hill after holding a Shinto ritual to soothe the angry spirit. Thereafter, the government held a small service in its honor every year until World War II. Because in 1940, the thousand-year anniversary of the warlord's death, lightning struck the Ministry of Finance, touching off a fire that destroyed much of the structure across Musakuro's Hill. In response, the the latest Minister of Finance, who was undoubtedly moved by the fate of his his, uh, predecessor, said, look, I'm not going to do what the last motherfucker did. That's stupid. So what he did, he sponsored an extravagant ceremony to appease Masakuro's angry soul once again, erecting a stone memorial that stands on this site to this very day. Damn. Respect. The story doesn't end there. Shit, there's more. When the Americans took took control of Japan after the war, they tried to bulldoze a shrine, to bulldoze it down, to build to build a motor pool for military vehicles. During the construction, a bulldozer randomly flipped over, killing the driver, and a slew of freak accidents started to happen. Then, the pleas from the local officials, they finally convinced the Americans to cancel the project, and Masakura once again enjoyed peace and quiet, still, just to this day. Not even the Americans are safe, bro. This is stupid. So, Masakura... He is a badass. As he is a badass today as he was thousands of years ago. And like a true samurai, he never launches an unprovoked attack. Remember, he never attacked. Every time something bad happens because they did something to his shrine. He don't start fights. He just finishes them. It's like, don't fucking start something you can't finish. But lately, his fury has been focused on, the, on those who don't put respect on his name. That's right. He wants so, respect. If you want to know how to survive an encounter with this Masakuro, just think of what you're doing or thinking of doing to the shrine is disrespectful. And if it is, don't, don't do, do it. it. Don't do it. Just, just, just don't do it. If you think like, damn, I got a fart. Is it disrespectful? And if you're like, is it? Is it not? Better be on the safe side and say, it is disrespectful. I'm not going to do it. One of the cool things about Masakuro's lore is how he is seen today since he only lashes out at those who strike against his resting place his presence isn't viewed as a negative one in fact he is seen as the guardian of tokyo someone who might return one day to protect the city in times of danger so here are three little fun facts that deal with the homosexual lore so the first one, it's a common misconception that all of the desks and the surrounding skyscrapers must face the shrine. There are rumors that every desk, everything has to face the shrine. Right. Yeah. But that's not true. It's a lie. Respect, respect must be had for Masakuro inside the borders of a shrine. Outside, you can do whatever the fuck you want and go about your daily business as usual. Another fun fact is that Masakuro actually... Has his own bank account to this day. What? People donate to his funds? It's opened at the nearby Mitsubishi Tokyo UFJ Bank. 
and it's used by the volunteer organization that maintains his shrine. Ah, get that cash money. And now here is the third one, which is a tie-in to last week's episode. After he died, after his head was cut off, his daughter placed a curse upon those who had killed her father. And if that sounds familiar, it's because last week I covered the Odokuro. And it was actually the death of Masakuro who the Odokuro first spawned to get revenge over. Remember, Odokuro was a big skeleton, and that's the picture I posted on her Instagram from last week's episode. So Masakuro was the first samurai that spawned the Odokuro due to the sam- due to Masakuro's daughter wanting revenge. So yeah, that's Masakuro. And whatever you do, don't fuck with the shrine, cause he'll f- fuck with you. So my last two Ures uh, were uh, part of the Sad Ghost Club. Now we're gonna take another turn, a whoa, different fucking turn. Uh, let's see. And this is a haunted place. Ooh. It's known as Hakoda San, or literally, it's uh, known as uh, Hakoda Mountain. That piques my interest. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Key figure in this is Japan's Imperial Army Fifth Infantry Group. Event that caused the haunting is known as a Hakoda Exercise of January 23, 1902. So, let's get into it. Well, in 1868, all the way down to 1902, there was political drama between Japan's army and its rival, Russia. So, Japan's army was kind of paranoid, and they were like, yo, they might attack from the mountains from the back. We need to send troops out there to explore this area, come back, give us details on this mountain region just in case we do get attacked so the commanding officer of the imperial japanese army's eighth division well they're like yo we need a test run so let's send the fifth division out to explore and retrieve data data and bring it back Mm. they're like yo let's send them midwinter because they might plan a secret attack during the winter most people won't expect that so that's what they did they sent 201 201 soldiers into this mountain midwinter that's how the night watch started but the soldiers were just given standard gear rations and given no training whatsoever mountaineering or survival Uh, Yo, you're a bunch of grunts. Here's your weapons, rations, no knowledge of how to find your way into the mountains. But I'm going to need you all to go out there. Protect the mountains. How do we get there? Figure it out. Mm -hmm. That's why we're sending you. Uh, you We're sending you to tell us, stupid. Now go. (laughs) Yep. So they didn't hire a local guy to take them, to travel along the mountains. Just yo, figure it out. So, the 5th Infantry Force left on January 23rd, 1902. Now, there was obvious signs that storm and local... There was obvious signs of snowstorms creeping up on them. The local villagers attempted to persuade this infantry to not to not to go. 
because, well, they could get stranded and die. Yo, son, you keep going. You finna die. Pretty much. Don't. <laughs> I have to, sir. Part but, of the army. It's an order. But the major. Is that, is that a movie? But the major was like, fuck that. I don't give a shit. I'm the captain here. I'm the major. I run this bitch. So we're going to keep going. Swords were like, fuck. All right. So kept on going. So they pushed, pushed, and pushed. Again, without hiring a local guy. The next day, the blizzard descended. In this blizzard, Japan has never faced such low temperature. And it's been recorded as the lowest temperature blizzard ever. Oh, it's cold. So the weather trapped these soldiers. They struggled walking through waist-deep snow. Soaking their fucking uniform. The rations were frozen solid. They couldn't even start a fire. It was that bad, that cold. So the captain was like, yo, dig up some trenches. That might help us out. Everyone, get a cuddle buddy. Stat. <laughs> so this is what the captain stated the soldier. But the major, who tagged along, was like, yo, fuck that. We're going to keep going. This was 2 a.m. Damn. So the captain was like, dude. We need these trenches. Major's like, no, we're going to keep going. So they kept going. Captain's like, if I'm not cold, you're not cold. Let's go. I, I ain't cold. Sir, I can't feel my feet. So then the captain was leading their soldiers. And the Major got sick of it. He's like, yo, fuck that. I'm leaving this fucking, this infantry now. Damn. So he did. And, well, he was relieved midday, the captain. And the Major took the company, the infantry, completely off direction so by morning more than 40 men were missing and presumed dead in the wind wiped snow so they traveled and traveled and surely enough frostbite and exhaustion finally set in the men began losing limbs losing their minds going crazy some got nude and tried to swim across this chest deep rifts and on day three Fuck. The command was totally That's the third day Disingrated There was no sign of control anymore They were just out there Lost Baffled Mad And dying On January 27th The rescue team was set out 199 Out of the original 210 Were missing Including the captain 11 survived But barely Limbs were cut off. Frostbite took over the body. A lot of multiple amputees. So from January all the way to May, that's how long it took to retrieve the fallen bodies of their comrades. So that happened. They're like, yo, this is fucked up. We gotta create a statue, a shrine for these fallen soldiers. So they did. But the local villagers tell people not to go visit that shrine. Don't do it. And those who do will be treated and received by paranormal visuals and audibles. You'll hear soldiers screaming. You'll see soldiers with uh, missing limbs. Missing limbs. Frostbite. Frostbite. And just screams of agony. You used to hear the guy, sir, is this... This is, is this the right way to go? 
Only speak when you're spoken to. Yes, sir. I just can't feel my legs. <laughs> so this whole area where the statue's at is considered to be a Yuri spot. It was actually even recorded by Japanese TV that did a report on this specific region. Oh, we got a video of that. Let's find it. Again, strange lights, sound of men calling out, and even the appearance of rows of soldiers in period clothing. Oh, damn. So you even see the marching of these soldiers, these fallen soldiers. So how to avoid this? Real simple. Don't oh. visit that fucking statue. Don't go. The local villagers are saying, yo, don't even fucking try. And even if you do decide to go, right, go in daylight. Because if you go in nighttime, you won't return. And that's a story of the Hakoda Sun or the Hakoda Mountain. You know, we mentioned in the beginning of the segment that Deary are usually individuals. And then Josh talked about, what is it, 210? What, soldiers? So- soldiers? Yeah, and the infantry, 210 soldiers. Yeah, 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 it's a lot of people that revolve around a certain location. Now I'm going to talk about 55 individuals revolving oh. around a certain location. Now right around the mid-1570s uh, in the Yabanshi Prefecture was in a time where warlords were fighting for complete control of Japan. Mm. Much like any strong army, these warlords needed supplies, allies, and ultimately a strong military force. But in order to get all of this and more, the military needed funds. And the warlords all had their own version of creating funds for the military. Some gained their assets from stealing, others from teaming up with an enemy to fight a common enemy, but one particular group, the Takedas, made their fortune from striking gold. Literally. Mm. The Takeda army found a secret mine in the foothills of Mount Kurokawa Kin- Kinzan. This was a huge operation that was kept in the down low so that the other warlords and even their own allies wouldn't know about their riches. The Takeda were also very superstitious. They buried their gold all around the land as an offering to the gods for when, when they return, for in return, they hope to gain victory amongst their enemy forces. Hmm. In addition, the Takeda held a stable woman whom many were probably abducted from their families who worked as spies for the Takeda. The warlord Takeda Shingen, Shingen was such a strategic genius who believed that using quote-unquote walking maidens gave them a leg up over the other warlords. They posed as everything from holy women to prostitute, prostitutes all around anywhere they can go near other warlords to kind of get some spies going, get some infantry going. And so they pose. And in their off time, quote unquote off time, they were used to entertain the Takeda men. Mm. Everything was mu- running smoothly for the Takeda army, but Takeda Shingin's, the warlord, his luck was about to run out. Oh boy. 
And together began to become so paranoid that the earnings were diminishing. Many troops took what they can, left the army and dwindling what was once a force to be reckoned with. The general was afraid that the woman would fess up to the location of the mine. And so the general ordered his men to build a platform suspended over a river gorge near the mine. Okay. He came up with a plan to, quote-unquote, prepare a final celebration, having the 55 women do a dance routine for the men in celebration. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. The women were suspicious about the whole thing and knew something was not right. But the troops made them go all on top of this platform by force, and so they had no other choice. They began a practice and eventually came up with their own routine. And on their final run-through, right before their big number, the troops below were hacking at the pillars holding its foundation up. One final whack and the, the whole platform came crashing down, dropping the 55 women to ensure death below, plunging into sharp rocks. Ouch. And today, the location of where the women fell to their death is actually very isolated. No buildings or homes built nearby. There are no signs to let you know where you are other than the wooden planks of grave markers, probably from the lives of those who tried visiting and faced the same fate as the women. Oh, shit. The locals there don't even mention this site because of reports that were made of seeing ghosts, hearing the screams and shrieks of women, and singing voices, probably those 55 whose lives were lost. Oh, but if you dare make your way to this waterfall, keep in mind that cell phone signal is no good here. If you reach your destination, you will see a metal sign that marks the spot where the women are believed to have been killed but rumor has it that reading the whole sign through and through will ultimately curse you for the rest of your life. It's a curse? It's a curse. It's a curse. How pissed do you think this we, the women were? Pretty mad. I mean, they were doing everything for them. You want us to dance where? And why are you pointing those guns at me? When I was 15, 20. Yeah. Why are you pointing those samurai swords at me? Cállate, perra. We're going to kill you because I can't trust you. Pretty much. Pretty much. Damn. Yeah. The Himisama. I'm continuing this trend of uh, multiple uh, Yuris. Yuris. All right. As you can right. see. To the right. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, it looks mad. You guys can check this picture Fade out. Man. Weird history. Yuris is hot. That looks brutal. So Himisama. Are the Diglett. Or the execute of the Uri. Or so I fucking thought. Then I realized that there's fucking armies and fucking whole road shows yeah. full of fucking ghosts. But these guys, they haunt the islands of Izu and the souls of 25 men, local men, who thought it would be who thought it would be a good idea to free the islands from an oppressor who turned away from the fellow islanders when they seek refuge. Hmm. Also known as the Kainaoshi, Translated to, holy men lost at sea. Oh, oh boy. Their spirits haunt the islands to this very day. And when they return, no islander is stupid enough to be caught outside of their homes. 
So the story goes it's the 17th century and the governor had arrived to collect his yearly taxes, which at this point were paid in salt. Except this year had been a hard one for the islands. Forest fires kind of fucked the local food industry. Mm. Food was scarce and let alone salt. But the greedy governor was not taking no for an answer. So he's like, look, I want y'all to start giving me source your, your own resources, your own personal resources of potatoes, just so I could have some so I, just so I could take back so I could take something back. So the villagers have to go into their own resources, which was their only source of food until the next spring. Hmm. So they were given so he was there collecting, he was he, he went there from island to island, house to house. Like how much you got? Oh, you got five potatoes, let me get three. Well, what do you got? So that's how he collected his resources. Hmm. And if that wasn't bad enough, Eventually, the governor, he began demanding sexual services. Demanding? From the villagers, from the villagers, young women. And it was here that 25 men said, oh, yo, fuck this guy. You know what? No. So they confronted him and told him, look, dude, you are fucking up. You are taking our food. You and you are raping our daughters and wives. And they realized they shit the bed. He said, man, go fuck yourself. I'm going to collect everything I want. Oh. So the 25 men, they went back to the island. And then they warned their neighbors, do not leave your homes. Don't make any fucking noise. And whatever you do, do not look out at sea. So that same night, the men gathered again and they tracked the governor and they found him. And they dragged him outside of the home. They punched and kicked the living dick out of him. Teach him a lesson. That's what you get. So now that that was taken care of, they knew they had to escape. So they built a boat. Rather than going and hiding inside the side rather than going and hiding inside a house and involving the neighbors. So the group set out before the moonlight and seeked refuge on one of the other neighboring islands. They're like, all right, we're going to fuck him up here. We're going to go to a different island so that way he can't tell who's who. So as they made landfall, they begged and begged for shelter. But after hearing what they had done, all the locals were quickly turning them away. Again and again, they were turned away and sent back to the sea by scared villagers too fearful of the consequences of hiding them in their own home. So each time they would go to the island, hey, yo, we need to hide. We fucked this fool up. You did what, man? Go fuck yourself. I ain't letting you in my house. So they tried to save the whole island from the governor and the islanders turned their backs on them. Mm, So they made their way back to the sea to go to another island. And that one final voyage into the sea was the one that they would never return from. Oh, no. The day was January 24th. So every year on this exact date, the angry souls of the dead man return to haunt the ports and beaches of the Izu Islands. Generations of locals still make penance for for their ancestors' fuck-up, and they lock their doors, they close the shutters, and avoid looking at sea, and don't leave their homes for any reason that day. Back in the old days... Before indoor plumbing was a thing, islanders would have buckets and buckets of empty buckets and buckets of water inside the homes for them to shit and piss in. Because they'd rather go in the buckets than go outside and risk getting fucked up by the Hiroimas. Bam. But dummies stupid enough to go outside have been reported. And have been reported to have been covered in blood, blindfolded, and driven insane by just the sight of the Himisamas. Damn. And that's for the best case scenarios. Damn. Others have wound up dead, while some have never been seen since. Have never been seen since. 
And last, but of course not least, we have the Japanese wudo. Now, you're probably thinking, Barachi, I thought you said that Yurai are people, not dolls. Well, yes, of course, I did. Correct me if I'm wrong, Moses or Josh. These items of people uh, being cursed would technically be possessed or harmed by your Yuri. So it's a spirit. Yes, it's a spirit. spirit. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so meaning the voodoo doll is like a scapegoat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A placeholder. Yeah, there you go. Like a token. There, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking in Yu-Gi-Oh terms. Yeah, always. <laughs> we, we all get it now. So let's talk about this curse. Believe it or not, the traditional practice of Japanese voodoo has been a tradition long, long ago, around 700 AD. With the first individual who has attempted to curse being a woman who was cheated on and to get back at her slinging-ass husband, <laughs> attempted to curse her husband. Guided by a Shinto priest, the woman was so successful at conducting her curse that she ended up turning into a yokai. A yokai? She turned into a yokai. Now that is fucking weird. Well, I mean, remember, we did, we did, um, 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 realize she, did, did she turn into an oni? Because remember, that's true. Because oni, onis, they could, people they're that people that up. get so fucking evil and mad, they just poof, evolve yeah, into a yokai. That's right. That's right. Hmm. And so she became the yokai known as Hashihime, the bridge princess, because she would ambush her victims under these bridges, looking for her stanky ass husband, but believing that everyone that crosses the bridge is basically their husband. She just kills everyone anyway. Oh, so she wouldn't. So she wouldn't ask anyone to pay the toll to no, get no, into no, the boy's no, hole? No, no. It's like it's like going back to the Yorona. It's like, I'm easy holes. You know, if you're just a child, you're fucked. You got. Now, the voodoo curse is actually pretty complicated process. But I want to warn you all. Do not try this shit at home. Hmm. Okay? So here's how it works. First, you got to make your own curse doll. Divide straw into two bundles, one slightly thinner than the other. You thread the thinner bundle through the other to form a cross shape. You use a threaded to tie off the ends of the thinner bundles to form hands. I like how you started the segment, started this little part saying, do not do this, but this is how you go about doing it. <laughs> I got to get you guys informed. So in case you start seeing this from, you know, your, your fellow fellow peers the show does not take any responsibility for what happens what you do in the comforts of your own perverted homes you know we're uh we're helping you guys get out of this by letting you know what it is and then you separate the thicker bundle into two parts and tie each off to form its feet Hmm. and now you're ready for action and so next is preparing a curse the old-fashioned way you're gonna go ahead and carefully wash your hands to remove any oil that you have remaining you don an all-white kimono, and then you dangle a mirror on your chest like a necklace. You clench a comb to your teeth, and you wear a one-tooth uh, geta sandals. You invert the gotoku razor, and you set and light candles on each of its three feet, and you place atop your head like a crown. Now, if you can't find a brazier, then you could tie a length of clothes or cloth around your head 
and then slide a single candle on it on each side, but obviously don't forget to light them. And then make sure that obviously your hair is clean. Mm. You take up a wooden mallet in one hand and the cursed doll you prepared above in the other, and don't forget to bring the nails along. Run like heck to the nearest shrine known for accepting court curses, such as a Kinfun shrine in Kyoto. Once on the shrine grounds, remove the geta and go barefoot, which is your sandals. Await the hour of the ox, which lasts from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. And tip, if you don't like loitering around with a cursed dawn and mallet in broad daylight, then wait until just before the hour of the ox to make your sprint over. Mm. At the hour of the ox, pound the doll to a tree one of the with one of the iron nails. Make sure somebody sees what you are doing. As you pound the nail into the doll, feel free to curse the individual aloud. So a sample curse would be, you idiot, you two-time cheater, you toilet seat lever upper. <laughs> you return every night at the same time for six additional nights. So seven total. In the full wardrobe, and you pound an additional nail into the daw. Don't hesitate to elaborate on the curses during this time. Voila, your curse is complete. So each day you got to come back and beat the shit out of the while yeah. trying to place more uh, whatever you want to happen. Yeah, to basically. And someone has to see you? Apparently. Hmm. Make sure you're not fucking up. Now, here's some tips about doing this. Pounding nails in the various parts of the doll will affect the corresponding body part of the cursee. For example, nailing the leg will cause leg problems, the chest, heart problems, the crotch, well, crotch problems. But avoid driving a spike into the doll's head unless you truly want the individual dead. So, depending on where you strike the nail, on the doll is where the cursee will feel that pain. And that is how you put a curse on someone. If you so happen to do this in Japan, you could actually pay, face some pretty serious consequences because it is actually considered as a crime. Mm. Here's an example of a real criminal case involving a curse in Japan. In 1954, in Akira, a young Yoshi Tanaka collapsed from sudden chest pains and her boyfriend, Tetsuya Yamoto, took his girlfriend to the hospital and then went to the police to file a report against his ex-girlfriend, Kyoko Hota, believing that she have, must have put a curse on his Yoshi. He mentioned that she was seeking her revenge on him for dumping her months ago. The police then conducted a thorough investigation in Kyoko and found a nailed straw doll in her possession, and so the police arrested her and charged her for threatening a civilian. Upon her arrest, Yoshi, his current girlfriend, her chest pains miraculously went away, believing that the curse was gone. Now at the time, the police believed that this was some sort of placebo effect that she felt. It wasn't a real thing, she was just thinking about it. But 
who actually knows. And that is, my friends, the episode on Yuri, the Japanese ghost. Did anyone say what the punishment was? No. They no. just said that you face consequences. All right. You get charged. Yeah, so don't do that. Yeah, don't. Don't do that. Not at all. Again, I'm letting you know this so that way in case you see someone, like for example, this this gentleman, he knew what it was and he knew that his uh his girlfriend was getting cursed. So he let the police know like, hey, this bitch is crazy. This is back when police actually gave a fuck about yeah. little things like that. Like, oh, I never heard of that one. You heard of that one? No. Not me, Bob. Let's check it out. Let's go see what it is. I got nothing to do. Let's go. (laughs) This was a fun-ass episode. His books are fun, man. Again. These are dope. If you guys want to take a look at them, look at our Instagram. Weird History, Yuri Tells Pod, where we post pictures of the Yuri that we talk about. Hope you guys now know the difference or now are able to differentiate between the Yuri... Yurei and the yokai. Um, the yokai seem a lot less evil than the fucking Yuris. Yeah, you know what? It, it, it seemed like the yokai were very like bump in the night type of ghosts. Well, I mean, not all of them. Like, for example, our sad boy segment over here. But we also had a lot of useless ones. Also, my segment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, it would be cool if the listeners let us know who was your 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 favorite, uh, Yuri. No, no, no. Send us video proof of you fucking with a Yuri. <laughs> fucking, <laughs> fucking with, with a Yuri. Fucking with or a Yuri, Yuri or fucking a Yuri? Fucking with a Yuri. Okay. Why, why do you want to? Just clarify because we talked about some ghost sex here. No, he did. I it did. was you. It was you, no, right? No, was, yeah. It was Josh. It was, no, no, no. I don't want to see that. It was love, bro. It was love. Then you start sending us OnlyFans. Fucking links. <laughs> I posted but, it on my OnlyFans. Uh, but yeah, um, this shit was cool. Um, now I now I could tell the difference between a yokai and a yuri. Now I, I know what a yuri is. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, we added a new wrinkle to your brain. Yes. So remember, yuris are made are created that way, and yokais are born that way. That's just an easy way to differentiate the two. That's mm-hmm. more. That's the rule more often than not. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it's crazy how there's different kinds of Yuri's. How there's, like, the sad ones, the useless ones, the, like, the, the dang, vengeful ones. The vengeful ones. The, I mean, I was... Luckily, like, the most vengeful ones are only, like, specific, specific to, their, to the lover or to yeah, the, yeah, whoever to fucked situation. them over. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And some are full of drama. It's crazy. That first one, though. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my. drama, bro. I, it, I'm pretty sure that's why people haven't made a, a, a Why it's a the movie. most famous. Why it's the most famous. It was one of the most famous Yuri ghosts. They haven't made a in movie. all of Japan. They don't want to. juicy as fuck. Imagine. What if they made a movie, a remake of that whole thing? In modern times? In modern who's who's, who's going to want a player? No one. Well, Shit's going to die. Well, that's what I'm saying. You got to go to Kyoto, ask for some respect, then for, go to the shrine, you know, play a little something, something, and get, you know, get the, get the custom blessing. Yeah. Bless. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I did. We sure as hell did. did. It was fun as fuck. Uh, remember, go to our Instagram, Weird History Retail Spots. Check out any of these pictures to let us know what the fuck you guys want else to hear. Telling us uh, how um, we mispronounce some of the names on the comments of the of the Yuri's and Yokai, so we could immediately block you. And um, <laughs> right now, as we are recording, I am getting texts from a buddy of mine who's helping me with the artwork for our merch drop. 
I showed the guys the, you know, the logo that we're working with. Mm-hmm. Fucking mm-hmm. sick. Some people have actually messaged us that they don't want us to change the logo. I know. They're, um, they're like, no, we, no, 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 yeah, no, no, no. We no. like the logo. We're not changing the logo. No, we're it's, just, it's like a, 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 it's a series for a merch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. We're still sticking to the, you know, to the ridiculous yeah, no, logo we have. I like but that it's kind of, one too. It's I got cool. y'all. Don't trip. But it's cool, you know, that people actually, no, no, what the fuck are you doing? Like, we like the logo. Like, you're fucking up. Yeah, that's so, the best part of the podcast. The logo, not the content, but the logo. The logo and the intro song. See, people are, are waiting for for pocket tees with that logo, hats, dad hats with that logo, flashlights, what a flashlight, what a triangle flashlight, butt plugs, a, bu- a triangle <laughs> butt plug. I can see the butt plug. I can see the butt plug. It's oh. weird and airy. Again, if you guys can't do us a favor, <laughs> go wrong. go on iTunes and rate and review us. That'll help the show grow. That'll help us get. It'll help us get more vis- visibility, and it'll help, help us get more downloads, which is what we need. But mm-hmm. also, most importantly, because we're gonna start share us. Yeah, share us. Share us. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Hey, look. Want to hear a bunch of dumbasses? Yeah, want to hear some shit? Hear some, you have an hour to waste. You want to get mad here? Hey, we're 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 perfect for your long drives. Guarantee. Listen to this Atlantis episode. <laughs> You'll love us more. Yeah, to like, the original one. If you want, look, and it, or if you want to inspire someone to start a podcast, be like, look, these assholes can do it. <laughs> they can do <laughs> it. You, you can do sure, it. For sure you can. But thank you guys so much. Remember, add us on Instagram, Weird History, Irritable Spot, rate and review us on iTunes, wherever you guys can. And if no one has anything else to add. Well, I didn't appreciate you shitting on us like that, but when, when don't we get shit on? At least yeah. he's part of the shit, though. Well, that one hurt today. I'm, oh. sh- I'm, I'm shitting on myself. It, it's because you're a sad boy, that's why. No, but it's, it's these fucking Ures, bro. Mm-hmm. Vibes. <laughs>